from the Torch Studio in Houston, Texas, featuring leaders and personalities from Jewish communities around the globe. This is the Sunday special edition of the Jewish Inspiration Podcast with Rabbi Arya Wolfe. Welcome back, my dear friends, to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. My name is Rabbi Arya Wolby, and today we have a special treat. We have a new special edition of the Jewish Inspiration Podcast where we're going to interview special guests on a hopefully frequent basis, but this I would call a special edition of the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Our guest this week is my dear friend and Rebbe, Rabbi Lazer Brody, all the way from Ashdod, from Israel, and I hope that, you know, over the course of this podcast, we will all learn a tremendous amount about Rabbi Brody and learn a tremendous amount from his story and from his inspiration, and we'll all be able to grow. So welcome, Rabbi Brody. Thank you very much. Rabbi Arya Volbi, teacher, brother, uh, brother at arms, Hashem, Hashem, and the fighting what we call the, the war against Evil, war against evil inclination that tries to keep the Jewish people from their source and keep them from their eternity and keep them from Hashem. And that's what we're trying to fight, to knock down the barriers between every Jew and Hashem. Because what it really is, the Torah says, that we are sons and daughters of Hashem. And who is that Hashem that we're sons and daughters of? That's king of kings. As that means we're all princes and princesses. So can you imagine a poor prince or a poor princess looking like a vagabond, like a hobo, unsheveled and unclothed, and not clean on a park bench, and uh, it doesn't know that he's a king or queen's son. And let's say, go, go down the road, there's the palace. You go into the palace, you can have whatever you want. You're the daughter of a king. You're the son of a king. And that's a tragedy. So really, when bringing someone close to a munah, something belief in Hashem, uh, they're bringing the, that's their birthright. That's their birthright. So and, until someone has a relationship with Hashem and they're in touch with their Judaism, well, we got pretty soon it's Shavuot, and what Hashem gave us uh, three thousand three hundred and forty-eight years ago. That's our Torah. It's the birthright. And instead, you know, you're. you're your father give you inheritance of of twenty zillion dollars, and you don't have enough coins in your pocket to buy a loaf of bread at the supermarket. But you're a rich person, but you've never tapped into your inheritance. That's a tragedy, and that's what together, uh, for I have so much regard for the Torch organization here in, in Texas and in, in Houston, and it's a torch. It's a lighthouse of Kiruv, of outreach for all the United States. And uh, Hashem, I'm happy to be here. And Thank you. Proud to partner with you whatever we can. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Brody. So uh, let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up and where do you currently live? Okay, first I grew up, I was born in Washington, D.C., in an inner city slum in southeast Washington, D.C. My father had a little grocery store. I had a little grocery store. My father was really a pilot. He's a World War II pilot from Canada. And uh, my mother is a Holocaust survivor from Grodno in Poland. But she, when they got married, they met right after, they got married in 1946, right after the war. And she didn't want anything to do with pilots or anything like that. So she grounded him and he bought a little grocery store. So I grew up in the inner city, 
When we were nine, my father did better. We moved out to the suburbs, Silver Spring. There were Jews there, but uh, there was a lot of Jews, but not much Judaism. If somebody had a tiny little kippah about the size of a 50-cent piece, he was a, this guy was a rebbe, you know, he was a holy person. So we grew up with, in my home, we grew up with a lot of uh, Zionist awareness, love of Israel, love land of Israel. I uh, knew what, what dad went through in, in World War II, Papa Shalom, what my mom went through. Uh, grew up with, the, this can't happen again. If it's, if it's up to me, this can't happen again to Jewish people. Right, so I grew up with this dream ever since I was a little kid that I didn't feel American. I wouldn't feel Jewish. I want to go to the land of Israel the first chance I can. So I went to University of Maryland, and I studied agriculture because my dream was to be a farmer on a border farm, settle the land of Israel, and to be a fighter, fighter and a farmer. And I did both. Amazing. Amazing. Was your family a member in, a, in any congregation? Yeah, you... the Hartzion Conservative Synagogue on University Boulevard in Silver Spring. Uh, that day, said the, the rabbi, it's not like, the, the very different what conservative Judaism back then was. It was very different. The rabbi and the chazan, they were both Orthodox. They were both Holocaust survivors. And uh, even though the difference between that and Orthodox synagogues, there was a parking lot. And families sat together. There wasn't not just men and women, but families. You know, husbands and wives and their kids, and their husbands and wives and their kids. It was just a, a free for all. It, it was proper, like fam. They called it family seating. They didn't call it mixed seating. They called it family seating. Right? But it, it, it's very different. And it was it was a warm place, and you know, it, it had uh, a bar mitzvah lessons and learned how to read it. Haftar in the Torah from the, the Chazan, he was a Gishmaki, he was a Litvish Yid, he was a Gishmaki, Okanitsky, uh, changed into Oken, Bohashem. So I, it had a, a warmth of Yiddishkeit, but not the observance of Yiddishkeit, not the Torah and the mitzvahs. Okay, and then after Bar Mitzvah, when Bar Mitzvah lessons were done, you know, you think, <laughs> and the conservative, when, you, when you're Bar Mitzvah, that's it. And then you put the Torah back on the wall. And you take it off once or twice a year. You put a shem on the wall. You take him off once or twice a year. He's like the Hanukkah. You take him down for Hanukkah. He's like uh, the Shabbos take down like Shabbos candles for Pesach. And that's what the shem. A shem is somewhere you know, up there. He's on the wall with it with the Hanukkah. And uh, that took me. The graduation university, they graduated university on a plane to Eretz Yisrael. And uh, was first on a kibbutz, kibbutz de Boker in the Negev. And Ben-Gurion was alive sure. then. Ben-Gurion was still there. That's where he's buried. Yeah, yeah that's where he's buried. But I, I, I knew Ben-Gurion alive and it had, uh, had twice, had Friday night dinner on the kibbutz with Ben-Gurion. And this is his wife, Paula. She wasn't, she wasn't alive anymore. But uh, Ben-Gurion had this... Uh, Two shin bait guys that t- took care of him. They brought him in. He, every day he would do a spazier. He'd walk around the kibbutz. And I, I was in the kibbutz until I went into the army. And in the army. And so, how old you, were you at the time? I was at the time 21. I was 21. And I went in the army. I was th- three years older than the other guys because they go in at 18. But uh, I'd been in university. And the fact that uh, I'd been in university and I was in good shape, I was an athlete. Uh, Ran long distance, and I was in a wrestling team, high school. So I got accepted into a good unit, 
an infantry reconnaissance unit. And it took me through to Yom Kippur War, which is a story about itself. How I did make Truva in the Yom Kippur War, it was just so, being American, you know, it's, being American, American education, you're educated in egotism, do your own thing and be the greatest, and you're educated in goof. You're educated the in body and soul. There, there's no soul. It's the, the body, body, body. You know, if you're a guy, it, it's Gillette, and it's six-pack abs, and if you're a woman, it's Helena Rubenstein, Nesty Lauder, and Lord and Taylor, and whatever it is, and, and the poor neshama. Okay, so my neshama was pretty beaten down, and I was, uh, remember the, those old eagle songs, you know, don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. But that's what my own wheels were driving crazy, very much in ego mode, and some Moshavnik, and doing two things afterward, after regular army, uh, went building up the farm, and I was had successful augmenting income in my postgraduate was in agriculture products development, and I was developing agriculture products, and and I was doing even though I was in the reserves, because the nature of my unit, I was doing like three months of reserve duty a year. So, I had on the on the farm had a, a partner. Where when he would be on reserve duty, I'd pick up his slack and I'd be on reserve duty. This is a lot of, there's a cooperation in Moshav, and there were certain things that were owned mutually. Uh, so that was, was so occupied with myself and the self that I really got out of the self mode, and it took till 1982. In 1982, I was 33 years old. So this is 12 years in Eretz Yisrael, and I was running to. Build my dream to my dream to become a farmer and yeah, agriculture. Yeah, a farmer and a fighter and this and we're doing both. Uh, and then I'll tell you an interesting story. Interesting story that Hashem, in addition to people hear about the, the, the war stories, what happened to me in, in Beirut in 1982, and I made shuva when I had a very short life expectancy. Didn't think I was going to make it. To the next minute, much less the next day, see another daylight again. And when I got it, I had a really amazing uh, discovery of my neshama under extreme, extreme pressure where there's nowhere else to go. It's when the body shuts out, that's when the neshama kicks in. I say this about amuna when the brain, when the brain and logic kick out, that's when amuna, your pure and complete faith in Hashem, they kick in. There are no atheists in a foxhole. Oh, no. Oh, no. But the problem is, if they make it out of the foxhole and they go back to that, that is like saying, you know, the guy is a real in need and, and he's in need of money and he says he doesn't have money for Shabbos. He says, Rabbi, well, we, do, do me a favor. To give me $200. I could buy Shabbos. This day. Okay, fine. You see, you give charity, $200. A guy really needs it. And the next day you see him on the street and you say, good morning. You didn't ask him for anything in return. He said, good morning. You know, I did, did a favor. Maybe we should be friends. And he looks at you and says, who are you? It's gross ingratitude. One thing, especially in Judaism, the ugliest thing in Judaism is ingratitude because the word for Jew is Yehudi, and it comes from the word to give thanks, lehodot. And when a Jew opens up his or her eyes in the morning, the first thing they say is, moidani, thank you, Hashem, cut back my life. Well, people say, you know, they say, you could teach a Brazilian parrot to say that also. That doesn't mean it's worth anything. 
But if someone's been through an experience when they don't think there's no logical way you're going to wake up the next morning, there's no logical way we're going to finish the day. And you came up when, I like to imagine that when I say that the words put a crack in the ceiling, that they just fly up. Say up, and you feel, wow, a pilot before he takes off, he checks his all his avionics and says, right edge, left edge, this system go, this system go, ready to take off. You take off, push up, open my eyes, cut my eyesight. I can breathe, my lungs are okay. Boom, 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 the heart's working. Ten fingers, all systems go. Thank you, Hashem. The king, the king, the living king. Gave me back my soul. Why not? Why don't we say, You gave me back my body. Okay, my body said, I, Rabala, you know how I, why so many millions and millions of people in America are clinically depressed? Because they think they're bodies and they don't know their souls. So if you're a body, every day, every sunup is a day closer to your funeral. But stop and think, if it, does the Almighty, does he do say, what are we, we're, we're, we're paper cups, we're throwaway utensils? That when Shabbos is over in the trash can, close the sack and boom, throw, throw it out in the bin? Is that the purpose that the eyes are more sophisticated than anything NASA has, any camera that NASA has, and the digestive system, and, and the skin, the skin where oxygen can come in, the skin can breathe. If a person's skin is, is completely sealed, it's pretty good choke, but yet nothing spills out, the blood doesn't spill out. Nekavim, nekavim, chalulim, chalulim. And it's water, but exactly, exactly. The, the, the prayer we say, people say, well, what do you need a prayer to come out of the bathroom for? Well, if it's too much, that's not good. And if it's too little, the person's really in pain. So when a person has a natural, a natural removal of waste, and, and not only that, it's pleasure. You have to, have to take apart a carburetor to clean a carburetor. It's really complicated. Mm -hmm. To clean our carburetors... Right. It's a couple minutes and a pleasure. This is it's Shem. That you are the physician of all flesh and you do wonders, wondrous things that no machine can self-clean like the human being. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's fantastic. Ah, so now when we realize what, what's the difference between the live body and the dead body, it's this life force. It's called neshama. Called neshama. And Rabbi Shem Yochai says in the Zohar that it's a tiny spark of Hashem. That's good news. That's good news because a tiny part of Hashem, that means Hashem, like the Torah says, that we're, we're sons and daughters of Hashem. What does it mean we're sons and daughters of Hashem? It means we have our Father in Heaven's spiritual DNA, and that's the Neshama within us. So we don't, the Rambam, the third prince of our Muna, is that Hashem has no physical properties, no physical attributes. So when we, the Torah says the hand of Hashem, the voice of Hashem, it's all a metaphor. Because since we're human and we're trapped in a human body, we have a finite language. And we can only understand by using finite language. We can't speak the language of, that they speak in the heavenly realm. They don't understand it. But this is what we understand. We, but so we know that Hashem is infinite. And we have that character of in self of infiniteness in our neshama, 
because it is a spark of the Ein Sof, of the infinite, which means your neshama never dies. So the more you cultivate your neshama and the more you attach yourself to Hashem, you give yourself eternal life. So what, what was the turning point? So you said after the Beirut uh, was the, you've mentioned this uh, multiple times in, at some of the Torch lectures of the, the, the incredible story of where you saw the Yad Hashem, the hand of Hashem right there. Okay, then what happened? Where did Rabbi Lazar Brody go? Okay, now he got back. He's back in Israel. Baruch Hashem, he's able to see. He has another day to live. Now what? Where does Rabbi Brody go at the time? Okay, after nine weeks and service nine weeks in Lebanon and Beirut, in and out of the hospital, get my eye patched. I got cut in the eye in downtown Beirut. Uh, okay, but after nine weeks, I went back to the farm, and I'm back on the farm, and I know something's got to change. So all I have to draw on is my conservative background until age 13. Okay, so now by the time the nine weeks was over, it's already close to Elul. And I had a few other guys on the Moshav, especially the Sephardi guys, my neighbors. The Sephardi guys are, they're, 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 maybe they're not religious, but they're not anti. Okay. So the, my, my Sephardi neighbors, uh, I had a couple of Ashkenazi neighbors, one that they, they came up through the national religious uh, system and they became non-observant in the army. It's funny, 70% of the religious boys that go into the army to come out non-observant. Sadly. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, these guys, the Sephardi guys said, hey, listen, let's make a little synagogue in the Moshev. So that's what I did. I said, got to do something. Got to do something. So we had Rosh Hashanah prayers on the Moshev. And the Rosh Hashanah prayers was what Lazer remembered until age 13 of the Rosh Hashanah davening. I okay, but it was like when I look back at that, maybe Hashem got big nachas like that. That the story of the Balshemtov, where the Balshemtov brought this little orphan boy into the shul, and he didn't know he couldn't read. He was a orphan at a young age, didn't have a mother, didn't have a father. A little Jewish boy that went around looking for a morsel of bread, and the Balshemtov brought him into shul, and somebody gave him on. On Erev Yom Kippur, somebody gave him a siddur, and he didn't know how to hold the siddur, but he heard people in Kol Nidre, people crawling, cry, crying out. He saw people crying in Kol Nidre. So he did what he could do, you know, for the village. He started crowing like a chicken, crowing like a chicken. And that's what he did. He saw people crying out, so he's crying out too, crowing like a chicken. The Baal Shem Tov said there was never a prayer in Shemaim like this orphans, this young orphan's prayer that there was a tremendous difficult decree on the Ukrainian Jews. And this little poor boy crawling out to Hashem in the way he knew, like uh, the way a, a rooster calls out in the morning, that this had the decree. <laughs> that was probably, my David back then was like that, that little, uh, the, the little orphan. Yeah, the little orphan uh, crying out to Hashem. Uh, so what sealed deal? I didn't know what to do with myself. I had a, uh, I knew a Chabad guy from Hadera. Hadera was 30 kilometers away. And at that time, my oldest son, see, in 1981, that's sorry, no, this is 1882. Um, or we're already before Rosh Hashanah of Mem Gimel, 
came before 83. 1983? Yeah. And, and, my, and you were married at the time? Yes. My, this is my first wife. She was from a modern Orthodox family. And from the U.S. as well? From the U.S., yeah. Met at University of Maryland. And came up with a, a group of kids called a Garin. They're supposed to go to stable care. So why leave stable care? Because everybody was, Israel was too difficult for them. And she and I were the only ones that stayed. And so I went to my unit and this and that. But ultimately, back then, like story, back, back then, there was, uh, there wasn't Asia Torah rabbis. There was no Uri Zohar. There was no Rabbi Aryeh Volbi, and there was nobody, you know, the, the Haredi rabbis, they didn't know what to do about Shuv, they didn't understand. What do you do with this guy that's, that's been through the College of Agriculture and that's been through uh, infantry recon? What, what do you do? You know, I'd look at the, these guys and they don't understand me. You know, some guy with a long beard and a guy with his pearly white hands that never left. Hey, you know, I've been down in the. Macho land. Yeah, some, some nasty gutters. And so there was nothing. Uh, but as I was going, the way we do things, and the way laser in particular, it's nothing halfway. You do something halfway, don't do it. You're all in. No, it's all in. And my ex, she didn't like that because she came from a modern Orthodox family. The modern Orthodox family, what's, why, why the, the, the modern is an adjective? I don't mean to insult anybody. But just say, this is what we do. This is what we do. Since we are modern Orthodox, we're allowed to take our sleeve length from here up to here. And we're allowed to wear a different type of hair cover, not cover hair at all. And we're like this, okay. But here comes her husband. Hey, wait a second. This is not Shulchan And this made all kinds of friction. And we tried to bridge it. We couldn't bridge it. So eventually we separated and divorced. And Bo Hashem, today, my wife of 33 years, that's my, my Zivuk Sheni, my wife of 33 years, she's Israeli, she's a former tank sergeant, Sadek is off the charts, and, uh, and Bo Hashem. So that's, that, that was part of the, part of... How many children did you have? I kept three from the first marriage, and I have one from the second, and my, third, my three first ones that they... The youngest one, he was then young, that one of the deal in the divorce that gave her everything, everything we had, and it t- took him, put him in yeshiva. The two older boys, they stayed with their mother, they went in the army, and they were also in commando units, and great commando units. The oldest son, after, univers- after the army, he went to university, he made shuva on his own. So today he's a rabbi with 10 kids. Wow. Okay. He was in the sea commandos. My second son is a... F- physical therapist in Canada. He was in Duve Devon. That's the behind the guys that... Yeah. Secret, uh, undercover. Sorry. Yeah, undercover. And my third son is a Rosh Koilil in Brockville in Kirat Sefer that he was in the program. One thing I told my third son, my son Chagai, when he was 17 and a half, I said, I don't care if you go to Yeshiva and not go to the army, but you've got to learn Torah with the same dedication that the soldiers that, in the that army. Sion and and Danny did in the army. Okay, the way that, so that really went into his heart. He became a masmid, learned day and night. As Mashkiah had to force him to go to bed. And if was, wow. like, he did learn until a couple of minutes. If I recall correctly, he learned in Yad Aron. Rad Aron, exactly. Yeah, so that's my brother's learned. My entire family, we all learned right. very okay. close with Rabbi, uh, okay, so Rabbi you, Eichenstein. Rabbi Eichenstein, sure. 
and see, you know what level yeshiva sure, that it's is. A, it's the top, top of the top. Yeah, these guys. That's are, all in. Right, right. That's all in. That's complete immersion. And and they're maybe they're not the highest IQ guys. They are the most dedicated. Most, most dedicated. Yeah. They don't lift Amazing. their heads up to it. So, that's so, so where did you go to, to get your education and, and, and to grow in your Yiddish guide? Okay, so here, this is the story, how I left the farm. This is, this is a, a, a story no less interesting than, uh, than the, what, what happened in Beirut. Okay, when the war broke out, it was Saturday morning, Shabbat. Why do you say Saturday? Because I, it was still Saturday for me and not yet Shabbat. It was the height of picking season. Not their picking. So the Jeep comes from my unit. And I, uh-oh. Uh-oh, I said, the Jeep comes. That means I'm, I'm going. All right? And my son then was 11. And he took care of the picking. He said, left him with, with uh, 25 Arab workers picking. Uh, and the way our neighbors in Vadiara, down the workers, they, they, they one peach for the boss and two peaches for me. That's the way it was. Like I said, I had no choice, and that's okay. So there's the crop. A, a fruit farmer works all year long for that one crop. Okay, never made so much money on the farm, and I, I wasn't at the farm, and it was left with my 11-year-old son and my neighbor. He filled in for him. Okay. The next year, come back after the war, back on the farm, and the... By me, it was like it was by the book. You know, University of Maryland, College of Agriculture, the, my, my fruit trees were pruned so gorgeous, like kiddush cups. And the rows, you couldn't feel a weed. They cultivated everything perfect, not perfect. Spraying on time, fertilizing on time. I had a great crop coming in, a great crop coming in. So I called Nuva, Nuva the wholesaler at Haifa, and I said, this is laser from Miami. And it's a couple of days before Rosh Hashanah. And there's nothing to say, Shechianu, except I have this golden king plum, a golden plum that nobody else had because I'm in the middle of Israel, but I'm 600 meters above sea level on Vadiara up the mountain, eight kilometers up the mountain. And it's right on the border where Shomron starts. Okay. And I had this, this especially it was great weather and it was weather like Tzfat. And a beautiful place, my Moshav, you could see from one in the west, you could see the sea. In the east, you could see the Jordan, Jordan Mountains. In the north, on a clear day, you could see the Hermon. It was a beautiful, beautiful, but it, it was a, what called a kochav uchot. It caught all the winds from all four directions. It was cold up there. Mm-hmm. And it's a half hour from Hadera, but the weather's like Sfat. And so I had this special guy tell them that I estimated had. F- three dunams of these plums and maybe five tons of dunamis. They get about 15 tons of these plums. And the guy at Nuva, the, the wholesaler, he says, Laser, you're going to make a killing. He says that the wholesale price, is, it's more than what you get during the season retail price. It, it was really up because people buy for Shechiano. Right. Everybody buy for Shechiano. So I go back and I set my alarm and, and clock. And Shechiano, just for our listeners to understand, is that the first fruit that you eat of the year, if it's the first time you're eating it, you say a special blessing. Aside for the Borei Priya Eitz, yeah. you say the special uh, blessing of Shechiano. we say on the second night of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, on a new fruit. Yeah, on a new fruit. And, uh, but to, to make sure, because some people say, do it, it's two nights of Rosh Hashanah, and do we really need the Shechiano, do not need the Shechiano? 
It's a, a whole argument in halacha. So in order to get off the argument, we have a, a, new, a new item of clothes or a new fruit, something we could say, the Shechino Brachon. Okay, so I set my alarm, and I'm going to be in an orchard next day, 4.30, because the picker's going to come at 5, make sure everything is okay, the irrigation and the water's turned off, everything, all right? So the next morning, I get in the Jeep, and the border farm, in the Jeep, I would go everywhere around with a short stock M16. We had thieves right on the, the, the green line. Okay, and the neighbors are all our first cousins, Ishmaelim. I go out to the orchard and had black clouds in front of my eyes. All the fences were knocked down. During the night, Arabs came from Janin with Peugeot tenders. That's a pickups, Peugeot pickup trucks, where they couldn't get into the orchard. They had donkeys. And they had a whole crew. I was not left with a plum for breakfast. I got ripped off in one night of a whole year. The last year, look at the Hashkoch Pratis. Look at the divine direction here. I didn't do, what's Hashem give me a message? I did not lift a finger. I was away in the army. It was, the whole farm was on automatic pilot. If a farmer wants to lose a lot of money, let him go on vacation during harvest season. You're going to lose everything. Okay, I wasn't on the farm, and I never made so much money. The next year, I did everything right, everything by the book, everything perfect. The yield was gorgeous. I lost everything. Wow. Okay, so I looked, I remembered a story from the Gomorrah Tractate Yoma that the temple was burning, and the Pirchei Kuna. The young students that under the age of between 25 and 30, they, they can only start working when they're 30. They're, they're students. They learn how to do the priestly work between 25 and 30. Okay, they're called the Pirche Kahuna. Training. The, yeah, the cadets. Okay, the high priest cadet, the priest, priestly cadets. The priestly cadets said, okay, we're not worthy of having these keys. They took the keys and they threw them up in the sky. And a hand came down and picked him up, and that's when the temple finally burned. They gave the keys to Besa Big Dush, and a hand from heaven picked them up. So I remember that story, the keys to the farm, and I got tears running down my eyes. I'm ripped off for a year. Okay. <laughs> tears at that. Okay, Hashem, you don't want me to be on the farm. And that, it hit me. I, hit, I had a eureka moment. When I did no work, I made all this money. When I did all this perfect work, I don't have a cent. Okay. I think I understand, Hashem. It's time for me to leave the farm and go to Yeshiva. Okay. So here, take the keys. So Laser threw his keys up in the sky, but it was different, not in the Gomorrah. They fell down and hit me right on the head. Okay. So, <laughs> good. So I'm off to Shalim. And I said, well, what do I do? What do I do? And this time I was separated already by this time. Okay. And I was free to go, free to come, free to. And I had visited made a small visit to the United States because my grandmother was dying and she was kind of delirious. She saw my face and she called me some Yiddish name, Leiby, Feta Leiby. That's her, Uncle Leiby. I'm not I'm Uncle Leiby. Okay, this is Laser. This is your grandson. And she took it up and she kind of cleaned up. She saw a face. So this Feta Leiby was a stolen chassid. Her father was a stolen chassid. I never knew that. She kept that because she went off the derrick. My grandmother 
And then Kish came to America. Stalin is a great dynasty in the Hasidic yeah. movement. Okay. I learned in, in Yeshiva Karl and Stalin in Brooklyn, yeah. 54th and 18th, 54th for eight, eight years. Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very close with, uh, in my heart, I'm very close with Okay, with so Stalin. we could probably Jewish geography. And, I'm, I'm and sure. Just, yeah. All right, Paul, the, the Pilchiks and... Of course. All the, guys the, the, that, tw the twins, the twin uh, towers. Yisrael Goldhaber just passed away. Sorry. He, he was, sorry a, yeah, he was the Gabai of Rabbi Yochanan. Okay. Anyway, uh, so I discovered and stolen, went and looked at stolen, 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 Carlin stolen. Israel's called Carlin stolen. And the Rebbe is a, an American guy, and I went to see them, boom, boom, boom. So I went to Carlin Yeshiva and Measharim, total immersion. Wow. Total immersion, Gemara. And here I am at the time. Rachov Yoel. Yemrachov Yoel, exactly. Right across the street from Satmar. Unbelievable. In Here's And this is straight from the from the kibbutz, from the Moshav? This straight from straight. the Moshav to Measharim. Okay, that was not easy because here's this laser full of ego, the big man on the campus and the special force and the farmer and athlete. And I'm sitting in the yeshiva and I'm trying to learn and I'm dealing with Aramaic and dealing with Yiddish. Got to learn Aramaic and Yiddish, the big thing. And I'm learning with a 17 and a half year old boy, a Carlina boy with pimples on his nose. And we're learning Gomorrah, we're learning Baba Metzia. And he's explaining something to me and I, I don't understand. And he's explaining, he didn't understand that what Abai has got a kasha on Rava. Abai is asking a kasha on Rava. I don't understand what they do. Where, where's the question? I don't see the question. And he says to me, He said, you don't understand the question? You don't understand the question? And I'm looking at this little I said, do you know something? I'm saying to my head, if I hit you once, they're going to have to call Hever Kaddish. They're going to be second. Now, this is what the reaction was, you know, the, the, the ego and the anger and this and that. And then it was 7 o'clock. So he said, what, what up? It's okay. Well, we're going to go continue tomorrow. Okay. So I got these tears of rage in my eyes. Tears of rage in my eyes. I said, this kid, what is this kid? Looks like I'm like the dumbest guy in the world. Okay, which Torah I was. And they all left. And I said, what am I doing? What I left all my whole life, this and that. And the kippah is burning on my head. And I put my hand to the kippah, and I'm about to take it off. And it, and then says, hey, wait a second, laser. What are you, an ingrate? You got yourself out of Beirut? Huh? Do you remember the promise you made that? You're going to change your life? Remember you said, if you get out of here, you don't know what's exactly to do, but you're going to try to get to know who took you out of there. You got yourself out of there, huh, Mr. Ego. I got my, I never got, such a chastisement from my good inclination. Usually, you know how to tell the difference between the evil inclination and the good inclination? The good inclination whispers. The evil inclination, like they say in Yiddish. It's, it's, it's a nag. The evil inclination is a nag. Do this, a nag. The good inclination is whispering. King, King Solomon says in Shira Shalim. But this, my good inclination, oh no. Got it on the head. My good inclination says you're an ingrate. You're full of ego. You're not going to go anywhere until you deflate that ego. And somebody stuck a pin in your ego, and now you're crying like a crybaby. You, 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 in retrospect, you're nothing. 
You're, you're nothing, not a fighter. You're a crybaby. You're a big crybaby. This is where the war is. You don't understand. See, people that say that uh, they say, oh, you know, the, the, the machos, oh, it's the IDF protects the country. I spent 29 years in the IDF, including two wars, and I don't know how many over-the-border missions and counterterrorism missions and anti-insurgent missions and this and that. It's the Torah that keeps Eretz Yisrael. Because for someone that's been in the army and knows the shlumperai of the Israeli army, it's a miracle that they win wars. And Israel, when they should have lost wars, they won wars. They should have won wars, they lost wars. It's the Torah. And for someone being in the base midrash, you go into Yad Aaron, Yeshiva's Yad Aaron, and and you go and, and you see these guys learning until their heads fall on the table. They got bruised foreheads because their head fall on the table. These are the guys that are, are keeping Eretz Yisrael. And if someone doesn't believe me, this is not my words, the words of, of, the words of King David. If we open up Psalm 105 and look, it said, Ba'avur Yishmu Toyosav that Hashem is giving us Atzot Goyim. I'm not talking politics. I'm not politician, I'm right, not left, not this, not that. I don't believe in Haredi politics and not secular politics. Not, I only believe in Hashem. But, but King David is saying, Artsos Goyim, if you don't have Torah, what right do you have to rip off the Palestinians of their land? They were there a thousand years. Before they were there a thousand years. Okay, since Muhammad, they were there. Oh, so what is our whole right to, to land? Ben Gurion, 1948, he took the Tanakh and he waved the Tanakh. Oh, this is our right to the land. Hold it. Excuse me, Mr. Ben-Gurion, who I had the privilege of knowing. Uh, there's 613 clauses in that contract. Oh, you want the clause of, of land of Israel. You've got to keep the rest of the What conditions. about the other 612? Right. Okay. No, no. This, you can't be selective. In a contract, you can't be selective. You've got to do the whole deal and keep the whole deal. Otherwise, it's a breach of contract. And so, it's a, so I know that you made it to Eshat Torah, where... You know, our Rebbe, we both have the same Rebbe, Rebbe Yitzhak Berkowitz. How did you get from Stalin to Eshat Torah? Okay. So someone, I had a friend, and someone told me that there was a smicha program for Bali Chuvas that Rabbi Noah Weinberg, he had this chazon, he had this vision, and he wanted to do, from a Torah standpoint, you know that Lubavitcher Rebbe sends rabbis all over all over the, the shluchim all over the world. But Rabbi Noah wanted his rabbis to be real ordained rabbis. So Rabbi Noah made a rabbinical program, rabbinical koilo, for Balchuvan. Balchuvan, before the Uri Zohar, everybody knows Uri Zohar. He, he was before us. And the Rosh Koilo was Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz, who is today one of the greatest American rabbis alive. Talmud Chacham and a Poisek don't have enough good things to say about him. Uh, the Shola Meshiv was Rabbi Yossi Lerner, Yosef Yitzchak Lerner. Also, that was special. I, I loved Rabbi Lerner very much. Still love him. And love them both. So, what did they say so, when you came to Eshatora and you tell them, listen, I, I'm originally from Washington, D.C. I'm a, a Moshavnik who has uh, a, a, a degree in agriculture, and I ended up in Karlin, and now I'm coming to Eshatora. Okay. Well, Rabbi... Yitzchak Berkowitz, he interviewed me, and he was smiling the whole time. I had really nice vibes. But I was waiting. It took a long time to get an answer from the yeshiva. And I didn't know what was happening there. 
I only found out last year what happened. You want to tell that? You know, <laughs> Rabbi Arya won't be. So, so we have the same alma mater. Okay. And uh, what? So, so it's funny. Yeah. So you tell the story. So my father in law at that time, Rabbi Eli Gwertz, he was, no, my father in law, Rabbi Eli Gwertz, who at the time was the Mashgiach of Esha Torah, um, had a different feeling than Rabbi Berkowitz about this lunatic guy who's who's like, what? This guy is a farmer and he went to Carlin and now he's coming to Eshatera. What do we need this guy for? Like, you know, Rabbi Berkowitz saw an incredible light and they they fought it out. And uh, I heard this from Rabbi Berkowitz himself and he says, we you know, we had a big, a big argument, uh, my father-in-law and, and my Rebbe, and uh, my Rebbe won. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> and, and then he said... Or Hashem, he has hundreds of Talmidim, hundreds of students who have gone through the rabbinic program, who have smicha, who are ordained rabbis. And uh, it says, You only say partial uh, praises in front of a person. He said he never had a student like Rabbi Brody. That's what Rabbi said. So there you have it. Okay, Bo Hashem, Bo Hashem. That, uh, so I, I hate to say this to my father-in-law, but Rebbe won. <laughs> okay. Bor Hashem, Bor Hashem. I still, it, 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 it's funny. It's, it's, it, it's part of Hashem and the, the, the way Hashem has. And uh, Rabbi Gewurz, I, I only after I met uh, Rabbi Arya. I mean, the truth is that if you were in his position, you'd probably think the same way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's, this, who's this turkey? You know, the, the guy, the guy raised turkeys and and and, and peaches and plums. <laughs> they say, "Well, you raise turkeys." You know, the turkeys are the dumbest bird it can be. Chickens are smarter than turkeys. A turkey in the hot weather in Southern California turkey house, they got to be careful. Have to be really shallow drinkers because a turkey could drink so much that he drowned his beak. Turkeys drown when they're thirsty. You got to be careful with them. They're dumb. So they asked this Israeli turkey farmer, they say, you've been raising turkeys for 40 years. That hasn't affected your brain? And he says, la, 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 la. So I have a couple of short questions to, to ask. I know that the journey goes longer, but I don't know about how much time we have. Uh, so just a, a few questions. First is, I know you mentioned previously that your parents were survivors. So... What do you feel today? We're now 80 years, a little bit more than 80 years after the Holocaust. And what do you feel is the most important lesson from the Holocaust? Um, one of the rabbis that I have highest regard for ever was Rabbi Victor Miller. When I was first coming, even when I was at the Moshav, I used to have a cassette player then, or cassettes, and I listened to hundreds of Rabbi Miller's cassettes. And really, he brought me on Hashkaf, a Jewish outlook. A lot of my Jewish outlook that comes from Rabbi Victor Miller. And he says, Rabbi Victor Miller is a kaleidoscope. He's amazing. Uh, Absolutely amazing. I, I, I was fortunate to meet him many times and to listen to many of his lectures in person. I never had that. In Brooklyn, New York on Ocean Parkway. Okay, but shul. when, what really brought me, the very first Rabbi Victor Miller cassette I heard was about the apple. Miracles the apple. And here I am, an agriculture graduate. My major is horticulture, deciduous fruit trees, and he's talking about the miracles of the apple. Wow, that really hit me right there. So then I hold the rest. Rabbi Victor Miller wrote a very unpopular book, very politically incorrect book 
about the Holocaust. And he writes that the reason for the Holocaust was, I'm very being telegraphic, being shortening, that the reason for the Holocaust was assimilation, that the Jews going at a Torah, going off a Torah. So people say, oh, what this, heaven forbid this cruel God, what he did, and it decimated, more than decimated Judaism. Well, if somebody's got a gangrenous foot. Yeah, take it off. To save their lives. To save their lives. And that's what Hashem did. But there's something even better. If you talk to them, Kabbalists, the gangrenous foot grew back. That all the souls today, why are we spending Amuna? That the souls today are reincarnated souls of Holocaust survivors. And it came back now. There's a problem, according to Kabbalah, with the Holocaust survivors because they were martyrs. Excuse me, with the Holocaust martyrs. A martyr, it says the promise in the Gemara, it talks about B'nai Lod, Achim. Uh, a martyr gets the highest point in Ganadin. So imagine they take you and they buy you a front seat. An, ex- an express train. Yeah. To Olamaba. Exactly. Someone takes you and buys you a $1,000 ticket here to the Boston Philharmonic. But all you listen to is this Asic rod, rock. You don't classical music. You don't appreciate it. Here's music and you're bored stiff. So you go up to this highest place in Ganadin and you get to hear a shur from the Rambam and you get to hear a taichi. You, you, you see Rabbi Yochanan arguing with Rish Lakesh. What's going on here? I don't understand. And Hashem says to Neshama, Neshama's not happy. Neshama, you're, you're the highest point in Ganadin. You're not happy. He says, Hashem, I don't know what's flying. He says, really, I don't know what's flying is you have to learn a muna. Well, let me learn Amuna. No, you can't learn Amuna upstairs. You can only learn Amuna in this lowly physical realm. And uh, this is the lowest. This is the bottom. This is the yeah. pit of the pits. Because the Gemara says in Gehenum, they know the truth that uh, Korach and his buddies are singing Moshe Emes Vitoah. So Emes Moshe's truth and Torah's truth. But here in this world, they don't know that. So that means on a spiritual level, we're at the lowest realm. So the Nishamas have to come back here and that's the mutual challenge of every neshama in this generation is to learn emuna, And emuna is not a matter of just being observant, being religious. It's having your own personal relationship with the Almighty. Amazing. Thank you. So if there was something that you can say to someone who isn't yet Shomer Shabbos, what would you say is the most convincing reason that you feel that someone should consider keeping Shabbos? Okay, first of all, like I mentioned, you're the king's son. You've got this Swiss bank account with these zillions of dollars in there. You don't know the number of bank account. You're giving them the bank account. Go and, and, and take it. To, here's your account and enjoy your account. Enjoy it. Okay, you've got this rich father in heaven who happens to be the king. All right, so start right now. I don't care. This moment, you don't keep Shabbat. This moment, you don't keep kosher. The one thing I want you to do before Shabbat, before you keep kosher, I want you to speak to Hashem. Speak to Hashem, okay? And, say, and, and, and be honest. Hashem, I don't know you. I never knew you. Let me get to know you. No problem at all with pleasure. There's one thing, spiritual law. Hashem does not invite himself to dinner. You have to invite Hashem into your life, okay? Hashem doesn't come. Sometimes he gives little wake-up calls. My son, my daughter, you need me. But uh, we look at the wake-up call and not at who is calling you know, be angry at the alarm clock. Don't be angry at the alarm clock. Somebody set the time. Right. Okay. Start each Jew. And you know something? There are people that keep Shabbat and are very careful about the kashras, but they don't have that personal relationship with the Shem. So what happens is 
the kids, next generation, there's all this jollies going out in the street. And kids understand, what well, I got to do this? It looks like rote. They don't understand the motivation. It's robotic. It's what I was till, till I was 17 years old. And suddenly one day it just hit me. I'm like, why am I doing all these things? And started investigating and learning and growing. And as soon as I, as soon as I found out, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is my, I have to tell the world. And that's why I'm here today. Hashem. So, so there are a lot of great things happening in the Jewish world today. A lot of really special things. What makes you proud to be a Jew today? When you see certain things, what, what makes you proud to be a Jew today? Makes me proud to be a Jew. You see, the emblem of torch is a torch. What makes me proud to be a Jew is that there were Jews like Avram Avinu and Jews like King David. And King David is not from the King David is a, is a role model. King David as a fighter, as a builder, as a ruler, as a human being. King David, how he managed his difficulties in life. And King David said in Psalm 119, Kol mitzvosecha emuna. All your mitzvahs are emuna. And that's why Laser Brody devotes his life to spreading emuna, because that's the one-stop shopping. If you have emuna, you have everything. If you don't have emuna, you don't have anything. Okay, so there, there's a Hashem, Hashem. There are more learned Rebbeim than I am, the Ketishem Gomorrah, and more learned Rebbeim, Ketishem Halacha. But uh, the point is, is to connect them to their father in heaven, and then Hashem will take them where they need to go. And so this is the most meaningful thing to me in Yiddishkeit today is our heritage, our Torah. And the tzaddikim that gave us our Torah, mm. that by them it came down. This is, there's no nation in the world that has a, a Duvet Melech. I just want to conclude with one more question. Is that what do you feel is the most, I mean, obviously you've said this multiple times here, but the most important message, if there's one message, the, the whole world, if everyone was listening to this podcast, everyone was watching this video, what's one message to the camera? Our brothers and sisters, this is the message. Okay. Something really important. Isaiah the prophet calls us light unto the nations. What does it mean, light unto nations? That we're a startup nation, that we're a high-tech nation, that we're smart people, people of the book? Light unto the nations means that it's our job to bring the light of spirituality to the world. But before we bring the light of spirituality to the world, there is a halacha called that you have to bring it to your own family. So to bring the light of spirituality to our own family. And what, what is it? Okay, we're, we're working in outreach. We're teaching Noahide laws. We're going around the world and, and, and teaching the, the world. What good is it if our own kids aren't carrying the torch? It's great. Choosing the name of this organization, that was a great job. Great job. Not carrying the torch. But how do you get your kids? We're going to speak, you know, speak out this on, on Shabbat, maybe invite whoever's in the neighborhood. Okay, when a child sees that serving Hashem is hellfire and brimstone, there's enough hellfire, there's enough wars, Ukraine, Russia, what, I need this? But when a child sees that serving Hashem is the greatest joy in life, and he sees Abba open a Gemara or go to Shul, and Abba's got this smile on his face, Abba looks like a, he looks like a novi, looks like an angel, and 
little condolence watching mommy light Shabbos candles. And mama doesn't like, you know, chick-chocking off to gossip with the girls. She stands in front of Shabbos candles for a half hour and she prays for her husband. She prays for her kids and she prays for Claudius Royal and she prays for the soldiers in the army and she prays for the, the young light that they should have enough to, 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 she prays for everybody and she's got this angelic smile on her face and a tear running down her eyes and mommy is so cool. I want to be like mommy. And daddy is so together. I want to be like daddy. Okay, but if daddy opens up the Wall Street Journal and everything is money, 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 is campaigning, that's what it is. It, it, that's not carrying the torch. The whole thing is if we live it, we can give it. We have to live our amuna, and then we're able to give our amuna to our children, to our friends, to our family, to the whole world. And we do that. That's tikkun olam, and Hashem will vadai bring us Mashiach Tzidkenu. Amen. Thank you. I just want to leave with one story. It's a true story that happened to me. I was walking in Costco, and I have this many times. People stop me. They see my tzitzis, my yarmulke. I'm not hiding it. And they say, oh, you're Jewish. Oh, I pray for you. And people make many, many comments. But this individual, he says to me, he says, are those tzitzit? I said, yes. He says, do you mind I touch them? I know that the Bible commands that Jews wear tzitzit on all four corner garments. Can I just touch it? It's a holy thing. I said, sure. And while he's holding it, he looks at me and he says, do you realize that you're God's chosen people? And we, the nations of the world, we look up to you as the Jewish people. You need to understand that you need to be our example. We look up to you. It's a big responsibility. Very big. And it, that gave me more shock than any rabbi I've ever learned by. It's like, wow, it, 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 the truth is, is that I, I believe that 100%, that our responsibility as Jews is to be a nation to the world, not by cheating on our taxes, not by by being a Ponzi schemer. or, or then, shalom, that, yeah. That's exactly the opposite. That's when the nations of the world hate us more. That's the Chilul Hashem. It's, it's, it's when we show the beauty of what it means to be God's people and we wear it as a badge of honor, not to hide, not to assimilate, not to run after what the world is is valuing, but to, to run after what God values and to make that our life. That's beautiful. That That's it. That's it. You have to know that a Jew is an ambassador of Hashem. And that's a fair issue Gomorrah. The Gomorrah in Yoma. The Gomorrah says if somebody far away and they see a Jew acting properly, and they said, well, why is he acting like that? Oh, he learns Torah. Oh, I want my son to learn Torah. And if, heaven forbid, he doesn't act properly or doesn't have a smile on his face, what's this guy depressed about? Oh, he learns Torah. Oh, I'm not going to let my son do that. That's it. So, Rabbi Brody, tell us how people can find you online, how people can join your your learning and, and learn with you Hashem, and from you. Baruch Hashem, thank you. We have two websites. One is called laserbeams.com, L-A-Z-E-R-B-E-A-M-S.com. That's a play on words of my name. Uh, Laserbeams, that's our website. Uh, our other is Amuna Beams, E-M-U-N-A-B-E-A-M-S. That's our podcast. Everything we have on there, the MP3s, the MP4s, all free download. And you're on YouTube as well, no? Uh, and YouTube as well, that's all. We have a Zoom lesson live in Israel time. It's every Wednesday evening at 8.30 p.m. Uh, in Eastern 
Eastern Daylight Time, it's 1.30 p.m. <clears throat> Here in Central, it's it's 12.30 p.m. That might be inconvenient, but on the website, on both websites, the replay of the Zoom link it's is posted. posted the next day. And anyone could go in, you get a free subscription, a free subscription, uh, you get all the news, the new MP3s and new MP4s, uh, things we write about our books. Uh, if you want, you could go also, if you see the, the books that Hashem has given us the privilege to write, they're all about Amuna. How Amuna affects your income, Amuna affects your health. Uh, we do a lot of work with health because uh, one thing, I don't know how many may be, there, there may be others, I, I'm not aware of them, but uh, Orthodox rabbis that are also fitness trainers and nutritionists. That's a, a student of the Rambam, body and soul. Body and soul, everything. So there's a lot of information on body and soul about that to keep a healthy body and keep a healthy soul so that the body can serve the soul. The body's to serve the soul. So more than welcome. And there is a sign up for the newsletter. When you sign up for the newsletter, you get notifications of the live Zoom invitations because we don't put those on social media. I remember the first Amuna Hour broadcast we posted on Facebook and the Nazis crashed it and had the worst, the worst spam you could imagine. And but they put it was it was terrible. Okay, so we send it a private invitation. You get it in Hashem, and more than welcome, more than welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rabbi Brody. It's a huge honor and a privilege. Thank you for joining us on our first inaugural special edition of the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Thank you, listeners. Please visit Rabbi Brody's website and listen to his podcast. Listen to Shiurim. His um, Emuna Hour is famous, and uh, it will change your life. Have a magnificent day. Have a magnificent week and of course a beautiful Shabbos we're looking forward to a great Shabbos here in Houston together okay. thank you God bless you've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast a Torch production become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe to find more lessons offered by Torch please visit torchpodcast.com